this is the type of stuff that she should be breaking on Glenn Beck. I mean, this is like a massive, this is a massive story. And you're, and, and Lisa's, Lisa's breaking it. I mean, this is crazy what's going on, what she found. Well, and what's crazy is to me, Jason, is that none of these larger outlets want to cover this. And I don't know, I mean, and I applaud you for your bravery for having me on because this is treason. Welcome to We Are The People Radio. This is your host, Jason Preston. And again, with my beautiful babe. What's up, baby doll? <laughs> I I, do I need to give you a title? I, I'll call your name. Is it the Patriot Powder that makes you so lively? It is. Oh. And is being hopped up on everything going on in our lives. That's honestly. <laughs> Alexia Preston, there she is. How you doing? It's good to be here. It's awesome having you. Oh. It's never the same without you. Oh, well, I only come in for the big guns. Well, we got the big guns. Um, so you're seeing this. I have no idea if we're on YouTube or not because our channel's been hacked. Uh, it's made for a very frustrating few days. Exciting um, few days. Exciting, yes. We're pissed off. <laughs> well, we're not going to stop. Yes, but and we are, we we are not you. stopping. <laughs> we will find So anyways, uh, we probably have a new channel up. I don't know what's going on by the time this thing gets out, but uh, just bottom line, follow us on Rumble. We are the people UT and on Instagram. And the best thing, please go to our website and you can find us there. Or if you subscribe to our newsletter, we are going to start pushing everything out on newsletters so that no matter what YouTube and what these people do to hack us, we're going to get our information out to people. And they did try to hack our website too. So freak those guys. You didn't no, tell me that. No, it's, that's what I told you. It's been a stressful few days. Oof. Anyways. It just lets you know that we're over the target. So. Well, there's a lot of targets in Utah. There's so much corruption <laughs> here. It's like, which target was it? It's turning into a full-time job. <laughs> yes. And so today's big. I want to get into it. Uh, by the way, please also check out Innovive, our sponsors. I mean, we can't do this. We can't self-fund this stuff. And uh, so it's people like Innovive who kind of allow us to keep doing this, who fund this. We have to pay a team, a studio. This stuff isn't just volunteered. And we um, really believe in their product. And, and yeah, yeah we, we use it. And we were using it way before we even were doing this or needed sponsors. So we use it because we believe in it. Because with the water that's going on these days, you need you should be having your water clean. And if you want to help keep the lights on here, please go to the website, donate, buy merch. We have great Patriot powder, great t-shirts. So plenty of things for Christmas or if you missed the boat on Christmas. I'm sorry, presents, January presents. We got sweatshirts too, lots of things. Okay, so let's get going. Yes. Because um, I want to get into it. We have today, and she's been with us several times. She's one of our guests, your favorites. Lisa Logan, I want to give her a quick intro and let's, uh, and, and this is a show that I think people are going to be very excited about. Awesome. Um, this is one of those shows where, like we do with Chelsea Hope, we say, hey, look what the United Nations, look what these globals are trying to do. And then, oh, guess what? Here's the federal, here's the federal government, the federal plan is, and boom, oh, well, here we are, Utah, doc, 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 checking it all off. So this stuff's unbelievable. So mm -hmm. And Lisa does a great job weaving it all together. And I think this show will blow your mind. It really pieces things together in a way where a lot has been happening over the last few years. And this really weaves a narrative together with, with where it's going and how everything interplays with one another. 
So, and I know we keep putting this off, but this is to me why this is important because our whole thing is focusing on Utah and what's going in our backyard. And it's not just what's happening in our backyard, but it's also people in our backyard who are doing big things. So this story is significant to me for two reasons. One, because um, it's massive as far as what these globalists are trying to do. It's a massive part of their strategy and it's happening in Utah. But two, the other reason this is big to me is Lisa's breaking this story. Like, this is not something that some, that she read, that she found. Like, Lisa broke this story. She put this together. So we have the most incredible people in the state. Lisa's one of these. She put this together. What you're going to see, she found it. She laid it out, and she's bringing it to us. So... Lisa Logan, let's freaking go. Well, give her a quick bio and then let's sure. and let's get and let's get her going. So Lisa Logan is, as many of you should know, if you don't know, she's a wife, a mother, a patriot. She is exposing the sinister agenda behind social emotional learning programs. Uh, education is also you can find her on your YouTube her YouTube channels. Uh, hopefully, they won't take you down too or come after you. Um, I'm sure, it's coming. It's it's going to happen to all of us. When you start getting specific about mm-hmm. people, that's mm-hmm. when. That's when they come after you. Yep. And Lisa, where can they find you? Where's best? I am Lisa Logan. I know it. Yep. This I am Lisa Logan only... on Twitter. Um, my YouTube channel is Parents of Patriots. Uh, and I have a Substack called Education Manifesto. Excellent. Yeah. And all, I know most of our listeners know James Lindsay. He's, he's an incredible person. Mm-hmm. We were talking to James Lindsay just this week, and he actually was saying, hey, when it comes to education, he actually gave you massive props. Like, oh, he really respects you. So, so nice. I mean, this is, she's incredible. I think we learn from each other, right? All of us are just working across boundaries and states and just trying to help get the word out. Yes. All right, Lisa, let's freaking go. Let's uh, share with our our guests what you have discovered because it is is amazing. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is a treat for you guys. Oh, and and it's horrifying at the same time, right? Uh, So I don't know how I came across this uh, at first, but... This is called the Federal Plan for Equitable Long-Term Recovery and Resilience. And I discovered this coming out of, um, it was, I'm gonna give a short history, right? This was born out of the pandemic. So all these interagency groups were working together. Um, They're like, hey, this is a perfect opportunity with this crisis going on. They were given the task to facilitate the recovery of the nation from the pandemic, as well as the country's resilience to future crises to come. So they're like, well, what if we took the word resilience and changed it, right? And then say, well, the conditions required to do so require all these things. And then they completely changed the way that government is funded. And they did it in such a way to make it so that all of the recommendations they make, there's 78 recommendations, they touch every single sector and it's gonna make the changes that the UN, the WHO, the WEF want in our society. So I'm, I'm uh, going to just say, you know, beyond this show, um, I've put an article out about this. You can find it. Um, it's going to be published at the Liberty Sentinel called The Sneaky Federal Plot to Turn Your Kid and Your Community Towards Communism in the Name of Resilience. Um, and then there's a YouTube video that expounds on what we're, we're covering today. Um, so you can go ahead and check surveillance that center. No resident goes unwatched. Hundreds of millions of cameras are installed all over China. We have algorithms that automatically recognize certain behaviors. If someone isn't wearing a mask, for example, we immediately detect this wrongdoing. No one can escape the camera's gaze, even when taking out the trash. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, data collection has ramped up even more in China. 
authorities use apps to try to identify infected individuals' potential contacts. Deng must scan a QR code with an app before entering the gallery district. His temperature is also taken. The app looks at your health status and can track your journey. After the scan, it shows you if everything is okay. If he had been in the same place as someone infected with the coronavirus, he would have been denied entry. Whenever COVID-19 is again detected in the country, the app becomes everyone's ticket to public life, to shop at a grocery store, to eat at a restaurant, even to get a taxi. We installed a network of sensors in front of apartments. When the door sensor registers people leaving the apartment in violation of the rules, we're alerted. District staff and the health department are then informed and can respond quickly. Yichun Wei is signing up for the social credit system. Yi has to link the data from his personal ID, then he'll get his score. The better you score, the more advantages you have in your daily life. I think it encourages people to voluntarily follow the rules. People are also penalized for making false statements in the country's COVID-19 app. People are rewarded for volunteering, staying fit through exercise, or using low-emission transportation. Donating blood also earns points. Other cities also reward organ donors or everyday things like returning books to the library on time. China wants obedient citizens. Authorities entice with rewards and threaten with punishment. Casey might ask, why did I start with this video, right? That, what does this have to do with Utah? And what does this have to do with the federal plan? Well, starting with the end goal in mind, this is the society that they want, right? That the end goal of, of everything that the federal plan does, and you'll see as we talk through the show today, it's to create a surveillance state in every city or town. Because how, how do you do this in like, you know, freedom-loving towns in Utah, for instance, right? In rural Utah, um, who love America and they, they love their freedom and individualism. Well, you have to use a back door, right? Um, so this is all about collecting data, and then eventually measuring, scoring, and ranking that data to create a social credit system. Um, so, hold on, whoa. So while you're doing that, so surveillance center. No, so this is to me why I like where you're starting is because this is where the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, this is where the globalists want to go, mm-hmm. is, is this social credit system. Yeah. We see right now, we already have ESG, Mm-hmm. And we see that they're starting to build smart cities. But the question is, how do you go from this vision to actually implementing it in your backyard? Right. And that's the journey she's about to take you on. What she has discovered is is the, their strategy. And that's why this is so massive. So that's, again, that's the end goal. Mm-hmm. Go on. Right. So, you know, you saw that these people had to scan, mm-hmm. you know, their QR codes and things like that. And, and really that's attached to their digital wallet on their phone, right? So that they can... Oh, they know exactly who you are. They know exactly where you've been. They know exactly who you've been exposed to um, in this social credit, because there's monitors and sensors everywhere. Um, they've got their watch that does their temperature. They've right. got, you know, all these different things. So I think it's important for your audience to understand that, um, you know, we, we, you know, you've had shows about blockchain and digital identity and all that kind of stuff. Once they're able to link all these systems up and have this data available at all times in order to walk around these smart cities and to interact and to take transportation and all these things, it can lead to the government 
you know, using and wielding their power to control the people um, based upon your access to those services. So it's interesting in China, um, there was this bank protest and these, um, these bank depositors were upset that uh, the Chinese government had frozen their funds, right? So they were planning this protest to, to talk about it. Um, and what did the government do? They turned their health codes red. So then they weren't able to trans use transportation to get in the city to attend the protest. Um, so that's, and, and this guy basically says they're putting digital handcuffs on us, right? Um, he declined to use his full name for fear of government retribution. And so this, again, right, mm -hmm. whatever rights groups have warned, China could use its vast COVID surveillance infrastructure mm -hmm. to stifle dissent. Uh, right. And that's the key. And I think that's one of the things that we're, she's going to share with us today, that, that they, they have used the pandemic as an excuse mm -hmm. to roll all this out. So that was the turning point for all, all of this is, is now that they have the excuse, that's the marker that's going to give them that they've already begun to use to roll this stuff out. And in China, that's what they're doing. And the same thing with the federal plan. And you look at China with the, the truckers, you know, mm -hmm. where they shut down. Ch uh, uh, not China. Canada, Canada. Oh, no, Canada mm -hmm. I'm sorry, with the, with the truckers. They just took down their bank accounts. Right. But this is the, this the logical is, next step. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, my computer's thinking. Because really what these cities are, and, and I think that you've come out with this, they're surveillance, monitoring, analysis, reporting, technology integrated. So, but, you know, all that stuff, you know, the, the technology that exists in China to make this happen, it doesn't exist in every city and town here in America, right? So you have to have an infusion of federal funding into these cities and towns in order to make that possible. And so that's actually what's, what's happening through the federal plan. They're using flexible funding from COVID, so the American Rescue Plan, the CARES Act funding, the um, Infrastructure Reduction, you know, um, sorry, Inflation Reduction Act. Um, they're using all of that funding and then saying, okay, well, you can apply for these grant cities, but guess what? There's gonna be strings attached and you're gonna have to change this in, in the environment sector. You're, you know, you have to measure climate change. You're gonna have to change this in transportation. You're gonna have to install this in your city to make it more resilient, right? So they're, they're they're taking the word resilience, just like they're taking the words well-being, health, equity, flourishing, thriving, you name it, right? And, and it sounds nice, so people kind of put their guard down, but what they're really doing is instituting communist policies right. through these words. Um, so this is just an example. They're gonna, and it says in here that um, increasing the complexity of the healthcare services and the volume of data being generated um, thousands of terabytes per year. Um, so they want the wearable devices, all of it. Uh, Welcome to the city of the future, a smart city that knows everything about you, from how you like your coffee to whether you've broken the law, or even if you've grown a beard. While the smart city we're about to tour doesn't exist, yes, all of the parts do. They're all components of real projects happening all over the world. Put them together, and this is what life may well be like in the not-too-distant future. You go to work. Your office building knows exactly who's coming and going, and what they need, thanks to thousands of inbuilt sensors collecting data. Wherever you sit, the lighting will adjust to suit your preferences. The building will even recall your regular coffee order. On your way home, you pass lampposts laden with sensors and HD cameras that monitor and record the world around them 24-7. Air quality and traffic flow data tell you the quickest and cleanest route and alert emergency services to accidents. You also regularly update your doctors using data sent directly from your smartwatch. They analyze it and prescribe personal 
personalized drugs and supplements that are quickly 3D printed just for you. You go to bed, but the sensors in the street never sleep. They're busy policing antisocial behavior, identifying people smoking in unauthorized zones, or throwing rubbish from high-rise buildings. While much of this might sound pretty idyllic, it is not without issues. Smart cities go hand-in-hand hand with gathering and storing huge amounts of personal data and using it to control city life. For governments keen to control certain populations, this is an incredibly powerful tool. Every moment of your daily routine can be tracked. Anyone with access to this data can find out where you live, where you go every day, the places you visit at night, and who you're with. This data can be used by people with far more nefarious aims than making you the perfect soya latte. You could leave your phone at home, but with advanced facial recognition CCTV in the mix, authorities can easily keep tabs on you. In places like Xinjiang in China, where growing a beard can already get you reported, this is a frightening prospect. So, are the benefits of a smart city worth giving up privacy and freedom for? Can governments and corporations be trusted with such huge data sets on all of us? What happens if there's a mistake in the system? Or you want to overthrow the system itself? Yeah. Good, good question. Good question, especially when we live in a time when the justice system says that the biggest terrorist threat to our country is Christian nationalists, is people who showed up at the January 6th. Sorry, I'm so sorry. No, no I mean, so, I mean, yes, that's, that's, that's what people need to think about is what happens when your children say, you know what, this is too much control, and this is, this is not the type of world we want to live in, and all of a sudden they become the terrorist. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you know, Again, and the people need to be thinking about this, where this is going. It's, it's clearly not And, and to safe. the people, we do get a lot of feedback on the other end. Oh, you're just being paranoid. You know, whether it's the Michael Yan video about the, the, the border or what's going on in the state, people that want to hate on this say you're just paranoid. They say this is far-fetched and, you know, we just need to get a realism. I, I think people don't realize there's legislature for, like, mm -hmm. the, the lampposts that yep. they, they, they put. Yep. That was just this last year. There's legislation. already yeah, yeah. legislation in place that actually is paving the way. So for people that say that we're being, you know, extreme or paranoid, we already are laying the groundwork. And that's what she's going to show. Right. And actually, I did uh, find a document when I was searching for all the smart city stuff. There was a document from another country. They literally call those smart streetlights Levitt streetlights. Just so you know. Yeah, stay tuned on that one. We've got a massive, massive yeah. bomb about to drop on Mike Levitt here uh -huh. pretty soon. So yep, honestly, yep, yep. it'll probably be one of the biggest shows we ever do. Yep. Mike Levitt I'm is looking forward crazy. to it, Jason. Um, so the reason I'm going to play this video is, um, so what your audience have to understand is that there's been a group of people kind of planning to put health in all policies and using as a lever for change for quite some time now, spanning all the way back to 1978. So there was a thing called the Alma-Ata Declaration, the Ottawa Charter, um, and recently in uh, 2016, they did the Shanghai Declaration. Um, I'll play the video and then we'll talk about it after, but um, this has been planned for a really long time. Why is it so 
important for us to make healthy choices. Because by choosing the healthy option, our lives are more rewarding. Our society stronger. Our economies more prosperous. And our development more sustainable. But first, people need to be aware of what the healthy options are, so they can make the healthy choice. Because an informed society knows what is needed to make communities healthier. Governments, joined by civil society, can provide people with the advice of a healthy option. Making more of the power offered by 21st century information and communication technology. People also require help to access the healthy options. This means governments across all sectors must offer ways for people to be healthy. From making healthy food available Just to eat, to ensuring the cities and towns in which we live are clean, safe, and healthy. Sometimes this means passing laws to protect people from harmful practices. It can also mean investing in infrastructure that makes it easier for people to lead mobile and healthy lives. This requires action, from those who make our laws to those who make our lunches. To use this awareness and access and make the healthy choice, the only choice to take. At home, school, and work. The Shanghai Declaration on Health Emotion is a commitment made by leaders of the world to make this world a healthier place. A place where societies and economies develop sustainably. Yeah, so I think the part that gave me chills in that video was when they said to make the healthy choice the only choice, mm -hmm. right? But who gets to define what healthy behavior is? Um, who gets to define what unhealthy behavior is, right? We just Clearly saw that the healthy last, choice is to take the, take the shot. Take the shot, wear the mask, um, comply with Stay whatever home. rules, right? Mm -hmm. Stay I home. I mean, the healthy choice now is no longer to be able to eat meat. Right. It's to eat bugs is the healthy choice. It's the right. only choice because we care about you. And they're, and they're going to make it the only choice that you have. Um, and so when they talk about, you know, information, giving people information, they're going to, they, when they talk about um, literacy now, it doesn't mean reading. Um, it means being able to discern between disinformation, um, or what they say is disinformation, and the real information they're supposed to listen to. And so, so again, in your in your smart city, when you start talking about steak and beef and how good it is and, and that it actually is good for you, well, now you're part of the disinformation. You're being silenced. You're a bad, you know, it's just dystopic. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Especially now you have, like, I think it was Lay's Potato Chips, which just said they're coming out with a new formula or recipe to abide by whose standards. So mm -hmm. I wonder how many crickets are in that bag of chips. <sighs> Seriously. <laughs> this agenda was put out uh, by the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, just recently in 2022. Uh, they had this big 10th World Health Conference. Uh, and at the very end, they put out something called the Geneva Charter for Wellbeing. Now, again, well-being, you think, oh, that sounds like a great word. We all want to have well-being, right? For, uh, stewarding a flourishing future, right? Um, I mean, this this language that they use is so flowery and nice, right? Advocating for a unifying approach to creating well-being societies um, by shaping the determinants of health in all settings. So again, it's going to touch every sector. Um, and when they say well-being societies, what they really mean is something different um, than what we would think, right? And they think this whole of society approach um, 
is using um, every sector, every piece of the government, um, every environment that you are in. So, and, and I think one of the things to think about is if you haven't read 1984, you know, need to read it or reread it because this is where they use language to manipulate mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. War is peace, peace is war. So they, what they have is they've redefined language in a way that you think it means something, but when they, but when they say it, they mean something completely different. And so if you do not understand their language, which is why what she's doing is important, you will think, oh, this sounds great and go along with it and not stand up for it when it's in your legislation. And what you're doing is real, is getting yourself entrapped into a, a brand new, brave new world. Well, and then you think about Envision Utah <clears throat> and the focus groups they hold. They do this. I'm sure there's something they do on more a global level where they have focus groups to see what words stick, what resonates mm -hmm. with people. Yeah. What is well-being? What is resilience? What is exactly right yeah. yeah so these these i know for sure i've seen in my research are words that they are are using and leveraging so if you see any of these in a bill if you see them and and that's the crazy part you know in, until i started looking at this stuff all of a sudden these words are popping up everywhere especially the thriving especially resilience and well-being um harvard has a flourishing study um, we're going to talk a little bit more about indexes later you know like uh, there's a prosperity index that people are using to compare countries but what is their definition of prosperity? Right, How are they different. measuring it? Right? Um. Recent decades have witnessed great progress in human and technological development across the globe. We live in an interconnected world with easier access to commodities and services. Life expectancy and living standards are better than ever before. However, this progress has come at a cost and brought new challenges. In a highly competitive world, we are encouraged to produce more and consume more. The natural resources are becoming scarce and climate change has led to extreme weather conditions. There is a need for a major shift in the current socio-ecological and economic models. Promoting health and well-being is at the core of the sustainable development goals and the World Health Organization's 13th General Program of Work. The WHO has called on decision makers to take bold political actions that would shift the world into a sustainable and resilient path. This cannot be achieved by the health sectors alone. The benefits are multi-sectorial and investments need to be made News, by all propaganda. sectors. Greater <laughs> political commitments are needed by the highest levels of governance this is and fascinating. by all Hope partners you're across this. borders to implement the required sustainable change to promote health and well-being. Here are some ways to get started. Identify an entry point to integrate health and well-being into current policies. For All example, policies. solidarity, social cohesion, gender equality, equity, or leaving no one behind. This will integrate approaches and together form a platform for change. Then identify a champion to support the policy orientation. This can be at the highest level of the governance or at the local level, such as a city mayor. The process for developing policies and ideas to support it needs to engage all sectors, stakeholders and people at every level. To implement the policies effectively, a supportive governance structure should be in place to enable strengthened legislation and reduce health risks and promote health and well-being share knowledge and build networks to address relevant public health issues. Transformative and collective efforts will be needed to ensure that we can reach the goals set in the SDGs agenda. Back now for our health and well-being. Yeah. So. Wow. I mean, that's straight scary. And, and, and if, 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 really, I hope our listeners 
you're able to capture that because there's it's if if you understand this is why language matters. Mm -hmm. If you understand what the, if if you don't understand language, this is the mat. This isn't masterful manipulation where you think what they mean is one thing and what they mean is something completely different. And she's going to get into this. What what this is? This is a mix of communism and fascism, mm -hmm. but it sounds in a way that is that is it sounds wonderful. It sounds great. And why wouldn't we want this? So. So really, you know, and I know it requires a little bit of focus and really like and paying close attention, but words matter. Right. Language matters. Yes. Um, and so it's interesting. When I put this video in my presentation, I knew that it sounded a lot like the federal plan. Right. And I and I, you know, say in my video that like, hey, look, they, they lay out this agenda and, you know, here's how, you know, it basically sounds like the federal plan. What I found this last weekend was that I actually found the document that was the WHO's framework, um, and they talked about here's exactly what the policies you do to to basically implement these well-being societies in your um, in your government and in where where your government is, and it listed at the very bottom in the like additional sources for to you to read. It had a link to the federal plan. Wow! So it this literally is the enactment and uh, putting into place the World he um, Health Organization's Geneva Charter for Wellbeing in the United States through a backdoor, without it, without anything being signed. You know, people are freaking out about the treaty right. that we're gonna sign that, that says the WHO can declare a national emergency and then we just have to follow everything that they say. This is, this is like, we didn't even enter into this. This is just something that the federal, this, this coup at the federal government decided they would put in through the backdoor. Right. And again, this is where I just have the most respect and, and those who aren't following Lisa, like this is the type of stuff that she should be breaking on Glenn Beck. I mean, this is like a massive, this is a massive story and you're, and, and Lisa's, Lisa's breaking it. I mean, this is crazy what's going on, what she found. Well, and what's crazy is to me, Jason, is that none of these larger outlets want to cover this. And I don't know, I mean, and I applaud you for your bravery for having me on because this is treason. They're literally trying to shift our government, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, from capitalism to what they call a well-being economy, right? Where they, we totally shift away from measuring GDP um, and measure our economic health and resilience by these subjective indicators that will require government control and surveillance. They're literally shifting our economy. And this is treason. And I'm calling for people in a minute, we're gonna have a call at the end. You guys need to contact your representatives in Congress. And, and ask them to do an, an investigation into the federal plan, the people behind it, what I'm gonna tell you about in a minute, and how this came to be, because um, it's interesting. So, I mean, I'll go through these slides with you, but this, again, started with that, that interagency work group. Um, they got 35 plus agencies together. It's now been ballooned to 45. Um, that now it's being housed under the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, uh, we'll talk about, you know, you all know who it is. Um, if you know who the secretary, um, she, secretary yeah, um, Richard, Shrammy. Rachel Levine, right? That's um, their champion. Right, right. So I don't know it's whose being, champion that would be, but. Right, it's, it's being housed under there. But th that's the crazy part is this video literally told them what to do. And that's what I found when I found that document this weekend is yes, they did. And so, you know, they found in, in, the, in that video that they said find an entry point right? Uh, you know, well-being, you know, uh, leaving no one behind, equity, of course, 
equity because we're in the United States, right? This is hugely being manipulated. And it used to be that equity meant equal opportunity for all, right? Everyone has the same opportunity, um, but now it means equal outcomes, um, which mean that they have to gather all this data, um, disaggregate it by race, um, and, and all these other, you know, things like, oh, are you a minoritized group like LGBTQIA+, and then they, they say, well, um, there's disparities in outcomes, and therefore, this just is more um, evidence that America is systemically oppressive, and uh, we need to tear down these systems and institutions and make things more equitable, right? right? Um, well, Communism. Exactly, 100%. So they used um, equity and, of course, the word resilience, because we're fostering resilient economies. Um, they had identified their champion. We just talked about the Office Assistant Secretary of Health, Admiral Richard or Rachel Levine. Um, and obviously it, it spans across all these agencies, FEMA, U.S. Department of Health and Service, CDC. I mean, again, 35 and now it's 45 now. Um, and then they had to implement these policies. They have to have a supportive governance structure. So that's when they created the federal plan. Um, and the 78 recommendations that people now have to follow if they take this um, COVID funding. So again, it's called the it's also called the ELTRR because it's a really long name or the federal plan. Okay, so so track with us for to our listeners. This mm -hmm. is this this now what she's going to get into is she kind of talk, talked about overview what they want to do at the at the international the global level. Now this is the federal plan, the way they're trying to execute it here in America. And, I, and again, we're getting into some technical things, but if you want to understand what's going on in the world, what's happening and how we're losing our freedoms and, and how they're going to do it, you, you have to follow what she's laying out here. And so I, again, stick with us. It's, I promise you it's, this matters. It's fascinating. Go ahead. Awesome. So the federal plan was actually, uh, so after they formed that little work group, uh, Becky Payne talks about it in, in my video on, on YouTube, but she says, you know, she was with the CDC for 20 years. Um, oddly enough, she's now heading up the same foundation that came up with these vital conditions, which is Rethink Health the Ripple uh, Foundation. Um, and they did that in partnership with Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Um, so she called these guys she knew, Monty Roulier and, and Tyler Norris of Wellbeing Trust. Um, and they gathered 100 plus contributors and they came up with this document called Thriving Together. Thriving Together, Again, another word. You know, we think thriving is a nice word. Um, but that one's way more explicit um, than the federal plan. If you look it up, you can actually look it up on thriving.us. Um, and they are much more clear about what they're behind and what they're going to do. Um, the federal plan dumbs down the language a little bit and makes it less radical. Um, but the federal, and, the, and she says it in the video, that the whole reason that the Thriving Together Springboard was created was to lay the groundwork for the federal plan. And they're literally borrowing everything, including the Vital Conditions Framework, which is this wheel right here, from it um, in order to institute its recommendations. Um, so you see there in the thing, it says belonging, civic muscle, thriving natural, we'll get into those in a minute, but those are all, this, this framework's based upon the social determinants of health. Um, and. Do you know what the social determinants of health are, Jason? Well, is it these all these little issues right there? Well, the social determinants of health are actually, um, uh, so they're the conditions that people live and work and thrive in. Is that, that's what the CDC and the, and the WHO say. Um, 
in order for them to be healthy. So we used to measure health based upon absence of disease, right? We'd say, okay, well, and if, and if people weren't healthy, our health promotion efforts focused around, say, saying, uh, campaigns to combat obesity or substance abuse or anything that that we know for sure has bad impacts on people's health. Um, But now they're focusing on a larger environment of what it takes for people to, to experience health. So that means, oh, we need to provide great housing for them, and we need, you know, good transportation and meaningful work and wealth. So and, these are and all belonging and belonging and civic muscle. And so these are all going to be ways they're going to put communist policies into every. So sector. in other words, they're using the need to, to make sure everyone has access to good health care to impose a basically communist society because all of these factors, whether it's belonging, whether it's uh, transportation, whether it's you know. Your how how your financial um, your finances everything is part of your health and so every because everything's part of your health therefore the government has their has found a reason to put their hands in everything right right because they have to promote health right health promotion is now all about all of these things instead of you know letting people decide their own individual health right. choices um, so really these are the sustainable development goals rebranded. Uh, and, the, and the problem is, is, and you and I have talked about this on the show before, Jason, uh, the United Nations believe that the needs of the collective usurp the needs of the individual. And so when we talk about these things um, and, and the type of economy that they want to produce, uh, right now, America's capitalist, right? So we have an economy that's driven by private ownership and supply and demand and you know, uh, they used to say that, you know, GDP is great because, and, and it's not always perfect, right? But, but if people have wealth, they're able to participate in the economy, right? They're able to buy things, which increases um, demand and supply. And so when we say we're measuring our economy by um, GDP, what we're saying is more people have the opportunity to buy goods and um, experience the, the benefits that come with that. Um, Whereas in a controlled economy like communism, a central government authority dictates the level of production, right? That's that's allowable. Um, the prices that may be charged for the goods, uh, uh, the cost of labor, you know, so they can say, hey, uh, business owner, you need to have a, a, your minimum wage at a, you know, it, it, it's all these ways, again, that they're just trying to say, well, you need to have a high minimum wage and you need to provide housing and you need to do all these things. Um, because uh, really what they want is collectivism, right? Um, and to take away our individual freedom and rights so that um, the government can decide what is healthy and what is a good economy. We had a measurement and learning meeting that begins to apply a racial justice and intergenerational lens to our national measures for well-being and thriving. Uh, that truly included a diverse group of people from um, the grassroots to the grass top. So if you think about the win strategic priorities, they really reflect uh, action across this. So advancing racial justice, advancing a shared movement for thriving together, leveraging the springboard that many of you helped to create uh, as a framework, advancing the win measures for equitable recovery and resilience, advancing an equitable economy, advancing mental health and well-being, 
and addressing COVID inequities and resilience in the context of COVID. Leaning into that as a stress test that can help us create a better system, a, a new system. And, and as we yes, uh, Michelle, uh, it means disrupting, it means dismantling and redoing. If you, if you think about it, that our, our priority around addressing racial justice is all about shifting, acknowledging those legacies and shifting uh, to, from, uh, to trauma, to exclusion. Of course, our advancing that thriving movement together is about coming together in shared stewardship and relationship to chart that path to renewal that we'll focus on and shift toward those vital conditions. Our work on, wind, on advancing wind measurement, that third strategy is about that, that third piece, changing what we measure and how we measure it and with whom, who gets to define what we measure and how we understand what matters. Uh, and as we think about that, we need to shift, of course, the context of our economy from an adversity economy to a well-being economy. So when she says we need to shift it away from an adversity economy, what do you think she's talking about? Capitalism. Yep. Yeah, well, and I th- and, and that goes right along with what she said, if we need to dismantle mm-hmm. the current system. Disrupt. Disrupt, mm-hmm. and, and literally she said dismantle, you know, capitalism. Yep. So, I mean, those who believe in the Constitution, that this is this, what these people are trying to do is, is literally dismantle the, our, our government. Right. And, current. Yeah, and that woman that's actually speaking there is Dr. Samova Shaha, um, and she is the director, was the director of the 100 Million Healthier Lives Initiative, um, which came up with the new um, measurement framework that they're using to measure the, the federal plan um, called the WIND Measurement Framework. Um, and she that when that ended, that became well-being or inequity in the world or we in the world. And so she's now heading that up um, and so, again, I, I, I put that quote at the bottom there because it's really about changing what we measure, because right now we measure GDP, um, how we measure it. Um, we're going to collect data on everything, everywhere, all the time. And who gets to define what we measure and how we understand what matters. And this is already starting to happen with, mm-hmm. you know, again, this is what the social credit score is in China mm-hmm. and, and what we're already seeing with ESG. Right. We're already seeing that shift. And that's really what they're trying to do is take this to the next level. Because this is a huge step forward from where we are now. Right. Or backwards. Now, 100%. Um, and I don't know if it'll, <clears throat> if it's the next slide, it just plays automatically. But, uh, oh, so she, she's a part, and that video was part of the Wellbeing in the Nation Network uh, webinar. Um, and so as you can see here, these are public-private partnerships. Um, and this network was actually created to advance these measures. So you see here we have at the bottom the 100 million healthier lives I just talked about. We've got Rethink Health, the Ripple Initiative, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, um, the Ford Foundation, PolicyLink. All these people are working together to shift our economy. Um, and they actually support, like a trellis, the, the whole measurement framework that she just talked about. You know, and some of our listeners, when you think about what happened during COVID, it was, if you're a small business, you, you're, you're not essential. We're going to shut you down. Mm-hmm. But all the corporations were, were, there was a massive shift in money and wealth to all the, to all the top corporations in, in the, in the country, in the world. <clears throat> the reason they want them, these, the money going to the corporations and keep them going is because these are the people who are going to play along with the, the brave new world that's coming, yep. which is fascism. Mm-hmm. It's a mix of fascism and communism. Your little mom and pa shop, you're gonna, not going to play along with this. You're not going to implement these things, which is why your business is going to be penalized, why mm-hmm. you're going to go out of business. Yep. 
these are these these are the companies that will be part of this fascist well, that are part of this fascist movement. And so it, again, this is why this uh, this is and it's happening and we're going to get to Utah in a minute, but this stuff is very much we're going to be talking about this private uh, public private partnerships, mm-hmm. this this mix between government and and corporations and it is terrifying and it is moving forward extremely fast. Yes. I even see a Utah-based company on there, Weave. What? Is that the Utah-based? That based? cannot be. Which one? Weave. It's to the left of the pyramid. No, that's not our weave. Oh. Well, Jeez. I wouldn't They're not big me enough. They're not big enough. Well, of course, because you take corporate money, mm-hmm. like Weave in Utah, mm-hmm. like that, the, like the owner, he's a, he started off a good guy, and I'm not going to say he's a bad guy now, but I know he started off a good guy. I know him personally. He got all this corporate money, and guess what? Every you know, He's pushing all, the, all this liberal stuff now, because that's the way they get you. You want the money? We're going to give you the loans, but it comes at a price. We own you. Yep. And do you remember who we saw in that, that <laughs> video? Um, that talked about uh, make the health a choice, the only choice, Bloomberg. Yeah. And we see on their Bloomberg philanthropies. Huh. Um, <laughs> so again, this this is very much, and, and even though there was there was the Shanghai Declaration, and you know, but this is very much going on in the United States. The National Committee on Vital and Health Statistics is a federal advisory committee that reports to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. They were asked by the Secretary uh, over almost four years ago to recommend measures for population and community health that would work across sectors. They brought together over 100 plus groups across nearly every federal agency and uh, across every sector and together created a report in January of 2017 that said that in order to measure population and community health, we need to understand uh, what health looks like in a number of different domains that relate to uh, health and the social determinants of health. After that, they transferred the process of developing measures to 100 million healthier lives, an unprecedented collaboration of change agents uh, that was convened by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement that was already working across uh, sectors in the country and across federal agencies uh, to improve health, well-being, and equity. So how was the framework developed? The National Committee urged us to arrive at measure sets that um, created a measurement ecosystem. They said that we need a parsimonious set of core measures at the national level, but we also need an expandable menu of measures for use at the local and community level. They asked us to achieve a balance between standard, widely used measures like life expectancy alongside those that might be promising or currently used in fewer places at this time um, or where there may not be yet enough data availability for everyone to be able to use them, but have the potential to really help us learn uh, and move the needle in terms of what creates health, well-being, and equity. An example is a perception of everyday racism, which seems to remove about five years from your your lifespan uh, if you feel that you are at high levels of 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 everyday discrimination. We don't, it seems incredibly promising and and interesting. We don't quite have uh, enough uh, data validation for that yet, and we don't have the data availability, but we'd love to see people try that out and see whether it it ought to become a measure that we promote to the leading indicator set in a future future iteration. Right. So that's the thing that you should understand is that, remember I just told you, she said, Uh, we we in the world is now continuing these measures. Again, these were created specifically to measure the progress on ELTRR, the federal plan. Um, and so they have a, that living library, and now states will use that library to actually pull measurement sets from to make their state health needs assessment. So um, 
they'll pull the community and there's a lot of different data gathering entities, right? Um, universities, like the Gallup polls. Envision the, Utah does yeah, that. Pew Research, uh, Envision Utah, you're right, absolutely does that. Um, so they're gonna have- Kempsey Gardner Institute. Yeah, yeah Kempsey Gardner. Gardner. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of federal agencies that share data. There's the census data. Um, so again, they're, they're gonna be able to pull all this data from the community, kind of call it, right? And you can see here, so, so when she talked about uh, bringing the measurement of this, you know, someone's subjective a perception of everyday racism to the level of a leading indicator, this is a problem, right? Because this is the main objectives that um, states kind of create their budgets around, like what are they gonna focus on in regards to the health and well-being of their community? So you can see like from 2015 on in, in red, all these indicators were added. And so now that last one there is the wind measurement framework. Many of you are probably familiar with this concept, upstream versus downstream when we think about health or the idea of prevention and root cause versus treatment. So these are not meant to be mutually exclusive. Um, many times in the past, state health assessments have focused on disease states, specific health indicators. You should really take the opportunity to think more about the upstream factors that influence a lot of different health conditions. If we think about individuals, and their individual health needs. You can see on the bottom right corner, we tend to think about hospitals and specialists, and that is a really resource-intensive um, time and money, resource-intensive way to approach health. So the state health assessment, this go-round, is taking the opportunity to think more upstream. And what does that mean? It means that we're gonna think about the conditions in communities and our environments that help to promote health and well-being. That said, the state health assessment will include um, data on both upstream factors as well as specific health indicators. So as you, as we think about these upstream factors, what are they? They're in things like environment, housing, nutrition, education, and income. Many of you may be familiar with the story that we often use in public health to kind of explain this upstream versus downstream scenario. So I'll share that story briefly. Imagine a large river with a high waterfall. At the bottom of this waterfall, hundreds of people are working frantically trying to save those who have fallen into the river and have fallen down the waterfall, many of them drowning. As the people along the shore are trying to rescue as many as possible, one individual looks up and sees a seemingly never-ending stream of people falling down the waterfall and begins to run upstream. One of the other rescuers hollers, where are you going? There are so many people that need help here. To which the man replied, I'm going upstream to find out why so many people are falling into the river. So as you look further upstream, you notice bridges in various states of repair along the river. Some are strong, made of sturdy components. Others are weak and debilitated with missing boards or flimsy railings. In the stream parable, we know that certain groups of people are more likely to fall in the river than others. This is an equity issue. They don't fall in because of individual weakness or intrinsic flaws. Fault, Rather, they just don't have the privilege that many of us have to live in communities with strong bridges. Privilege. So that's one of the reasons we're really focusing on equity also in this state health assessment, to try to create environments for all that for address all. these upstream Communism. factors. So that's another reason that we're using this vital conditions for health and well-being framework. They're very similar to social determinants of health as the framework for the state health assessment. It addresses these upstream factors, the environments that enable us to be healthy and well. And those are the things you'll see on the vital conditions framework graphic on the right. A thriving natural world, basic needs for health and safety, humane housing, meaningful work and wealth, lifelong learning, 
reliable transportation, and belonging and civic muscle. Belonging and civic muscle is at the center because it really influences progress in all of the other vital conditions. Another reason we chose um, the vital conditions framework for the state health assessment is because the federal government is moving in the direction of using the vital conditions framework. Just a few weeks ago, the federal plan for equitable long-term recovery and resilience was released. And this is exciting for a few different reasons. It's an interagency plan. We know that the federal government is often siloed, but more than 30 agencies have collaborated over the last few years on developing this plan. It is intended to guide long-term investment from the federal government. It uses the vital conditions as its organizing principle. So we really have an opportunity in Delaware to align with this framework that's being used nationally, that's being moved towards nationally. And the idea of the plan is that it's going to provide an actionable path for this whole of government collaborative approach specifically to improve the vital conditions. Now, the government recognizes that this is going to take a transformational systemic change. Another element of this plan that's exciting is that it really focuses on community-centered collaboration, understanding better what communities themselves believe and know that they need to improve related to the vital conditions. This idea is also supposed to maximize, so let's look at the money we already have, the state Steady state investments and other federal investments, how can we use them in a more combined and collaborative manner? And the entire plan, which is exciting, is focused around equity and specifically aims to eliminate disparities. Okay, so that pretty much pulls everything together, I just told you, in a way. Um, and it Out of the horse's mouth. Yeah, out of the horse's mouth. Um, they're, do, they're, they're using the vital conditions because the federal government has this plan. Um, the, and you heard her say that they're moving towards having this be national. Um, the national standards that we use. Um, this is already being implemented in Delaware and, and quite a few other cities that have piloted it. Um, and we're going to talk about later how it's being implemented here in Utah. And, one, go ahead, baby. But one thing that I noticed with all these upstream conditions in the wheel that it's glaringly missing is personal responsibility. Yes. That's right. 100%. It, it feels like the individual is removed from it with no agency to actually take charge of any of those things themselves. So you know where this is naturally heading without any personal responsibility accounting for. Right, and not only, you're absolutely right, Alexia, and it's not only the lack of personal responsibility, but then then there's the other side of that, where it is the responsibility of the federal government to pre-distribute resources to make sure that those people are taken care of. So we've moved beyond even equity to now, one like, racism. Mm-hmm. Um, it is literally... A slave master, ma- you know, managing the, it's the slaves. It literally is. Yeah. If, if you if if you rewind and go back to the thing of what's upstream, no smoking, no drinking, vaccines, taking mm-hmm. your vaccine, mm-hmm. they're taking away your personal choice. Right. Agency. Yeah. Which is what the eternal fight has always been about: is freedom and agency. Mm-hmm. And here you have a federal plan working with corporations to take away your agency under the guise of health and Equity. wellness. And resilience. And resilience. Right, to make the, the healthy choice the only choice. Mm. Mm-hmm. This takes a minute to load up, but um, also, you know, she talked about the state health needs assessment. So the state health needs, needs assessment, once they gather all that data, um, and then they measure it, and they kind of, you know, look at it, that determines what is put in the state health improvement plan. Um, so that that is literally then the direction your state's going <laughs> based upon this data collected and the disparities and all that and trying to get it equitable. 
that that's how then they create policies that enforce this. Um, what if the government uniformly measured its success in terms of elevated resilience in communities across all dimensions that define healthy, thriving communities? The work group in deliberating on these questions in 2020 um, uh, determined that there were a couple of considerations that had to be paramount, one of which was this involved all of us, um, that it really is a public-private partnership to build resilience across this nation. Fashion. That's what the federal plan intends largely to do, provide a lens through which agents across the federal government can entertain how they best apply their resources towards the same meaningful outcomes that ultimately define increased resilience. As the case it may be, um, or was, uh, civil society was already thinking in these terms and had been even pre-pandemic, um, to the point where you see depicted on the left side of this slide, uh, thriving, thriving together, which is an initiative across civil society that was intended to better orchestrate um, civil actors, non-governmental actors, towards enhanced resilience of, in communities. The federal government's interagency work group do, working on this effort intended um, very deliberately to build out the federal plan over the ensuing months and years now um, in such a way that it could harmonize with that civil society effort. On the right, there's also uh, a nod to the fact that um, it does very much harmonize with a number of um, subsequent executive orders and cross-governmental efforts that have occurred uh, in the current administration. The framework for the vital conditions for health and well-being looks to define the actions that can be taken to enhance resilience through these different components that you see here. It may resonate uh, in its familiarity with the social determinants of health framework. Um, but I think this offers a, a more inclusive and open uh, relationship to those sectors that traditionally haven't been involved with SDOH necessarily. So, I mean, ultimately, what these objectives are set to do is enhance that equity. Um, the equity, as you see on the bottom there, in terms of access to, to federal resources, and more importantly, and most importantly, equity in terms of outcomes um, for communities and individuals. Scary. This work is being taken up organically already by federal government and partners outside of federal government. And there you see the WIND network. Um, the YMCA is participating. It's great. Um, so that was Rear Admiral Reed. He is basically assistant to Admiral Richard or Rachel. Dick. Levine. Yes. So, call a spade a spade. And so he talked about the federal plan's objective is set to enhance equity, meaning not only access needs to be equitable, but also the expectations of equitable outcomes for all, no exceptions. And they literally say this in their document, Thri uh, thriving for all, no exceptions. Yeah. Um, so what what does this look like, say, in Delaware, these, these pilot programs? What would that look like in day-to-day in -day life? Well, they again, it's how they collect data and what they what what they prioritize the data that they're collecting, right? So, when we talk about this whole lens that they're using, right, it literally preferences people of color just based on the color of their skin. Um, they're going to say we're going to direct these resources toward communities to have, um, like in the federal plan, it talks about having um, increased money towards after-school programs, but only in underserved communities, right? Um, having access to uh, childcare, right? But only in underserved communities. I mean, equity and outcome is, it is it bread lines. Yes. Everybody gets the same mm -hmm. amount of food. Yep. Everybody gets the no same amount of healthcare. Yep. You, cannot, you cannot earn more money than the next person. There is no ability to get ahead. You will get what the person next to you gets, there, you, which, which, which 
de-incentivizes work ethic. Yeah. And that's what communism is. It's right. there is no getting ex yeah. you cannot go work harder and get ahead. It is you're in the bread line and getting the exact same amount as bread is the same person this person next to you who is unwilling to do it lifted their finger first. It's slavery. Yeah. It this is this is slavery. Yep. Yep. And it and it, you know, it's and, critical theory. And again, it's, to our to our guest, this is your country. These people work mm -hmm. for you. You've yep. got employees that are hijacking your country, your your company, and it's there. It's a coup. Yep. And your kids are going to live with the consequences if you don't stand up and do something. Yeah, yeah. That's why we need everyone to contact their. That's why this stuff matters. Our congressmen and congresswomen. Pull yep. your head out of your, you know, TV, and and this stuff matters. It really does, Jason. You're you're so right. Um, and they do. They talk about all pe all people in places thrive without exception. And they aspire to eliminate long-standing disparities by adapting and coordinating federal resources to address, to address systemic racism. So it's the whole critical race theory narrative that it's been racist from the beginning. It's still racist. They're, they can't get ahead. And, and I think that's actually offensive to people of color, right? Like, again, it takes away their agency that they have no control. They just are living in the society that's going to keep them down, right? And so it's the federal government's job to make everything right. And that's what Kennedy said. Right, he said we have to fix past discrimination with present discrimination and future discrimination, and that's what literally this is. The federal plan is. So, again, you heard uh, Shmava Saha say that we have to change what we measure, right? So this is the thriving together springboard that they talked about the federal plan being based upon. So, instead of measuring GDP, they're going to measure all these other things that matter: well-being and justice goals living standards of the GERI index that, you know, uh, income inequality, uh, climate indices, education indices, just capital rankings, which is just another ESG, um, impact investments, just transitions, all these different things. Um, they're going to change the way we measure uh, our, our economy to basically be all of these things. It's taken a pandemic to help us realize just how sick our world has become. We've been slaves to materials building our personal empires and countries' economies. We convinced ourselves that life was great. We ignored the cost to ourselves, other people, and our planet. Capitalism is horrible. When COVID-19 arrived, forced us to stop. We had time to question our way of life. If we were locked up. <laughs> could we have been better prepared? We've realized we can't go on as before. How can we say our economies are thriving when the cost of our societies are so high? There is a way out of this, and we all have a part to play. Countries should be measuring their success by the well-being of their people and the environment they live in, not just by deals and trade, the profits made on products that are threatening our world and our own survival. We need to stop pursuing the same old self-destructive priorities Capital. and create conditions for people to live better lives. Social. Government control. Health should be factored into everything, both globally and locally. Some countries are already getting this right. Bhutan has a Growth National Happiness Index, where indicators such as living standards, community vitality, and psychological well-being drive a more meaningful and sustainable way of life. New Zealand has a well-being budget, which uses human health, safety, and flourishing to assess the success of its policies. The UAE's happiness agenda ensures the government prioritizes happiness Communism across will make you all happy. its policies. 
Whilst the government and other happy. Modern countries yes. have adopted a health and all policies approach, but more of us need to come together and hold each other accountable to promote better living and turning it into real action to transform our lives. COVID-19 has cost the world dearly, but it's also given us a chance to change the path that we're on and create the future we want. Give up your freedom. You'll right. be happy. You'll be, you'll be great. Just... <laughs> so that was a World Health Organization video. Doesn't it sound a Surprise. lot like those indices we just talked about? Yeah. Weird. Um, so that that is... Basically, I mean, they used COVID as a way to get health in all policies. Um, again, it, never let a crisis go to waste, right? Um, it was a perfect opportunity. And, and she, you heard her talk about all these different indices that other countries measure. And there's actually a well-being economy government alliance um, that s spurs out of the well-being in the nation network that I showed you. And they use these indices or are trying to force. So Canada's a part of it now, New Zealand. And now they have a well-being budget, right? So... Um, Taxpayer funded, I assume. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They, they're using the, the funding from the governments to say, well, we have a well-being um, initiative that you have to follow. So all your budget items, you know, people who are submitting their budget items in the Congress and, and uh, governments there have to con conform to those. They have to, they have to say how it promotes the well-being of society, right, according to their standards. So this is where America's heading, and this is where not only our federal government's heading, but local economies as well. Um, and what they're going to do is that all that data that they gather, they're going to measure by all these different indexes. Again, that sound really nice. The prosperity index, they're actually involved in ARC, um, which is interesting to me. Yeah, that's scary. Um, yes. Yeah, so they have a thing, like I told you, where they measure nations against each other. They're, they're using these information called the Cantrell Ladder. Um, the school health index, the CDC is using to push the WISC model in schools. When we talked about the whole school, whole community, whole child model, well, they, they're going to create community schools. And all of this is baked in. In fact, the opportunity index is started by the Forum for Youth Investment, who, who were part of the whole child design policy that I said was going to use um, that whole framework to push community schools into education. Um, so all these, again, these are all the ways they're measuring data. Um, again, they're aggregating it by, disaggregating it by race and other demographics, and then they're gonna um, use it to control us through communofascism um, and enact distributive justice. Um, so again, I talked already about how this is being done through federal government money. Um, and so it was interesting, Jason, Jason challenged me to find out how this was going on in Utah. And, and I, I knew that they were using COVID money, but I didn't know how um, until <laughs> he, he told me, well, and I was like, well, I can, I can maybe try to figure this out. So I looked it up and it turns out there's this thing called the U.S. Economic Development Administration. Now they are um, using their economic adjustment assistant program to funnel this money into um, various localities. Um, so in order to do that, you have to apply for these grants. Uh, they have certain investment priorities uh, that they say are important to them. Um, equity, oh look, number two, recovering resilience. Um, they have to build economic resilience and long-term recovery from economic shocks like those experienced by coal and power plant communities or other communities impacted by the decline of important industry or natural disaster, they may benefit from economic diversification-focused resilience. So it's interesting, when we talk about this next coalition that's involved in this in Utah, one of the recommendations that they had was to diversify their energy. Oh, because they want to bring in green energy, right? So all of these recommendations that they make through the federal plan actually accomplish the World Health Organization's World Economic Forums and UN's agenda. 
I, I want to jump in, just interject real quick here because COVID was so important. Mm-hmm. And people, I don't, I don't know that a lot of the society understands why, what was so significant, why the lockdowns, why the pool and the kids, why, why they dragged it on so long, why they, what was the, the purpose behind it? And the purpose behind it was, was to reset. That mm-hmm. is what the great reset yep. is. It is to reset the entire country and world with this new Marxist takeover. Yeah. It was to eliminate small business. It was to make it, it was to set things in, in play to make it more difficult for the app, for the middle class, for small business. It is make it more difficult for home ownership. Look at why mm-hmm. do you think it's so expensive for your children to have a home now? The, the yeah. ability to own a home has disappeared. All this was all done through mm-hmm. COVID was, it was all calculated. It was all very specific. It was an excuse for them to, to cut off the funds from every, make everyone <laughs> suffer financially and then interject new money to states under conditions that they accept the federal plan, that they accept this new brave new world. The, yep. Everyone hears, oh, build back better, which is this plan. This is part of build back yep. better, the great reset. And it's happening now. It's the framework is happening right now under your nose. It's she has laid it out what they're wanting to do at the federal level, how they're doing it, how they're doing it at the national level through uh, the federal plan. And you want to look at and I just want to bring this up because all the money that got handed out through COVID, that wasn't just money without strings attached. Right. You look at Utah uh, just for uh, I mean, if you do a search on how much money Utah got from the federal government, it was obscene, a billion in pandemic relief for the, for education. You start going through another $20 million. I mean, you, you, boom, 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 millions and billions of dollars came into the state of Utah and it all came with strings attached. What are the strings attached? This is what we're talking about. Again, what has happened since COVID? All these private public partnerships, mm-hmm. these PIDs, what's going on at Vineyard, the smart cities. Where's all the, why is all this happening right now? It stems from the money that came from COVID. Yep. So this is, COVID was not just about a sickness that came through. It was to fundamentally tear down and rebuild the entire global economy and the global government. Right. Well, that's what they want. They want a one health global government. Um, and I lay that out in my video on YouTube. Uh, and they talk. By the a way, lot we, about- we're going to put a link to her YouTube yeah. in, uh, in, in, in the uh, comments below because you need to watch her whole video. She does a phenomenal job. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about this. Right. Well, and they want universal health care. And, and the other part I, I kind of want to highlight before we start talking about what's going on in Utah here is that, you know, when you talk about how they're going to preferentially treat people of color, um, through the federal plan, right? They're going to direct these resources and funding to them um, preferentially just because of the color of their skin. Well, they're, they're planning to do the same thing once they get their one world health government. But, you know, the people of privilege just aren't going to be white people. It's going to be, oh, the United States of America's privilege. And we need to redistribute the wealth. That's right. Across all these underdeveloped countries um, so that they have you know, the same amount as the United States Again, people do. Everybody's in the same bread line yes. internationally. Yes, internationally. So I just and wanted to make sure that your under, your audience understood that. And the other change with COVID outside of what the government stepped in and did with the people, I think it, it was a paradigm shift for many to make them receptive to things like this outside of the people that are awakened and have done the research mm-hmm. to actually piece it all together. You know, it makes people more receptive out of fear, out of emotion, mm-hmm. you know, don't kill grandma, you know, doing what you can 
but it's not about the individual anymore. It's now about collective. Yes, 100% the collective. Um, so this is something that I discovered. Uh, they did take the EDA money. Um, so this is the five-county economic development district um, down south. So it, it includes Beaver, Garfield, Iron, Kane, and Washington counties, and they're called the Five-County Association of Governments. Um, this is scary because um, I... You know, I've been on more of the education side and just now kind of getting into the smart city side and the, you know, the special districts and all that stuff that I know you've talked about on your show, Jason and Alexia. And what's scary is so the special districts can, uh, they basically are unelected governments, right? right? Uh, so, you know, you think you have representation where you can go and, and express your grievances to your government or your lo local uh uh, district or whatever. No, that's not going to happen in, in an economic development district because um, these are specially created. Um, and it talks about here uh, how you create an economic development district and that is existing right now here in s southern Utah. And the, so these regional governments, and this is very important because if you want to understand what's going on at Vineyard and, and with, their, with their mayor, Julie Fulmer, which people should be up in arms. If you're in Vineyard and you're not paying attention to what's happening in your city, it is absolutely alarming. Um, but it is forming these form of governments where it is, it is part what, first off they changed the, 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 the boundaries. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being a city, it's, it's this boundary that takes in two or three cities. And so all of a sudden it's, where's the accountability? You don't have a mayor because it's part of two or three counties or, or so it takes away your elect, your representative form of government, which is, which is what a Republic is. Right. Second, just like what they did in Disney is the, the land is actually owned by a corporation. Mm -hmm. So think about that. When, when a corporation, who, you, that's an unelected government. And that's right. where we're moving in Utah in the point and, and vineyard with Utah City. Daybreak's moving that way. And that's what these, and so a lot of what we're talking about, this is this brave new world. This is this new model that the great part of the Great Reset is getting rid of elected, your representative form of government. And Utah is leading the way, and that's what we're talking about. And, and so this, these are the things that we've got to be watching for if you are going to hold your government accountable and protect freedom for your children. Yes, 100%. And this is just to say that they took this money, right? EDA, this is from that document I just uh, showed you the cover of. And it says, yes, we, we did take this uh, COVID-19 funding. Um, and it says here it was allocated over $100 million in available grant fund, uh, funding, as well as the opportunity for states within the region to capture more than one billion in competitive nationwide funds. So, again, strings attached. Absolutely. Just like your politicians take money where there's strings attached. Right. So, what are some of the things they probably have to agree with? Because this is part of the federal plan and and the recommendations. Well, as a part of the lifelong learning plank, um, they might you know, have to allow the use of cross-agency federal funds to increase access to enrichment experiences in and outside of schools for under-resourced communities that are historically have been marginalized. Um, and I would ask your audience to go take a look at these recommendations. Um, integrate, oh, here we go. Here's the stuff that I've been exposing for two and a half years now. Um, increase incentives for schools to adopt and integrate whole system, social, emotional, and behavioral approaches. And to meet recommend staffing ratios to, of students to train school nurses and behavioral health professionals. This is how they're going to implement those community schools and require that your kid gets mental health services at school, even if they haven't been diagnosed with anything. Because every child is at risk and they all need their needs met 
right? This will touch basic health needs and safety. And this as well. is where the student belongs to the state, not the parent. This is this is crazy stuff. It's crucial. Parents yeah. are better that people understand. Right, because if, if those community schools come into play, and I know I've talked about this on your show before, they can offer all sorts of services to kids. Pelvic exams. I mean, they literally, I mean, Kelly Ski on Twitter has done great work of this, at Kelly S-K-E, um, exposing this. There's like a Denver health clinic, and they can get uh, birth control pills at school. They can be referred off campus to Planned Parenthood. Um, they literally, and they're, what they're trying to do is remove parental consent for these procedures so that kids can decide to go to school and be like, oh yeah, I just want to get a vaccine today. You know, but I don't need my parent to sign off on it. I want to change my gender. Yeah, mm -hmm. I want to change my gender. I want to go on hormone blockers, right? Um, so they'll remove parental consent and then say the parents are, are dangerous to the child for not um, allowing those kinds of things. Um, for a thriving natural world, this brings in SDG 11, which is all about creating those smart cities. Um, if you just read those recommendations, almost every single one of them, you know that that's what's coming. Um, Basic needs for health and safety. This one kind of scares me. So if you do read the recommendations, there on the right-hand side there, you'll see fresh air, sexuality, and reproductive health, and uh, sufficient sleep. And those have stars next to them. Well, these are all things they did not cover in the federal plan yet. Um, and the basic needs for health and safety definition says freedom from trauma, violence, addiction, and crime, fresh air, nutritious food, uh, safe driving, um, Sorry, safe drinking water, I need my glasses. Routine care for physical and mental health, routine physical activity, safe, satisfying sexuality and production or reproduction, and sufficient sleep. So while these recommendations here might, yeah, it might not sound so bad, what else what are they gonna bring in when they have recommendations for sexuality and reproductive health? Right. Right? Um, but they say invest in the development of collaborative networks. Um, extending from education settings, for instance, Head Start, child care and schools, exactly, you're not gonna own your child, um, to respond to social, emotional, and physical needs of children and their families. So they want from cradle to grave government intervention into people's lives. Um, so that, that's trauma-informed uh, care and funding policies, uh, culturally responsive whole person teaching, so they'll have to bring in CRT in order to meet the basic needs of those kids that are from marginalized groups. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I just, I know we've, it's a long show, uh, but I kind of want the key points to take with you here. Um, a, there's a coup going on at the federal government. Um, and they're basically instituting communism through the under the guise of health promotion um, and resilience. Uh, it's racist what they're doing, right? They're, they're targeting federal funding uh, based on color of skin. This goes against Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Um, and they need to be called out for that as well. Uh, and also, you know, the goal of all of these policies is data collection and moving our economy towards communism. Um, and a one world health government where you're gonna be surveilled, you're gonna have all these, uh, this data collected on you, you're gonna um, have a score, just like we do with social emotional learning, right? We, we score people's behaviors and attitudes toward different things. Um, are you empathetic enough? Are you compassionate enough? Do you follow the rules what the government says? Hey, wear your mask. Don't go outside. You know, that woman talked about having cameras outside people's uh, places of living so that they could tell if they left and, and then they could, and then what, what's going to happen? Your health goes going to turn red. You're not going to be able to travel. You're not going to be able to use any of the services in the city. And, and I just gave you all of the evidence that this is in your backyard. It's in your backyard. It's not just at your door. Communism is just at your door. It is like standing in front of you, waiting for you to do nothing. And that's why I'm saying you have to contact 
your representatives in Congress and say, listen, this is communism. This is treason. I want you to investigate this. I want you to get to the bottom of this. And we cannot let it happen here. We can't. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's the thing that's on my mind right now. Yeah, I'm, Vineyard's on my mind. Um, what is it? 24 hours before city council, Julie Fulmer, they elected two, they got two great people on city council, Jake Holdaway and Sarah, Sarah, uh, who are conservative and who are going to push back against this, this, uh, you know, Utah city and, and these PIDs and this exact stuff they're trying to do down there in Vineyard. So what does she do before they get elected uh, or, or get uh, actually, um, I guess, take their seats? She tries to pass a bill that says that the mayor has the ability to override the city council. And we find out about this the day before. And, and you've got these people saying, how do we get the word out to the people? No, and this, this is crazy. This is going on in our backyard. This is crazy going on in, in Vineyard. If you're in Vineyard, I mean, this is not just Vineyard, but in, if you're in Vineyard, you have got, you have, you are in a straight takeover. You have got to figure out what's going on and you've got to stand up. But this isn't just Vineyard. This is, again, the point. This is this is happening mm -hmm. everywhere in Utah. And a lot of it is tied to all of this. Do some research. All the We have to do a show on the COVID money because mm -hmm. Utah took insane amounts of COVID money. I think it may have been like, I don't want to I don't want to say on air, but but I know it's if, if it wasn't the most, it was like some of the most amount any any state took. And it came at a price. And that price is selling us out into these globalist programs. And that's why we're being we're implementing all these things. So um and if you go back to the earlier uh, video you showed at, towards the beginning of the program where you installed the champion, that's not just the ambassador Dick on the Levine. federal. Said the mayor. Yeah, mm -hmm. it goes down to implementing it on the local level through your local governments, through the mayors. Right, and we actually do have economic development uh, councils and things like that here. Um, there's uh, ED Utah, I think, um, is one of them. And so... Look, look those people up. I can guarantee that they are probably pushing these communist policies into, because I mean, what they're doing is saying, listen, this, these are the ways you need to fund your city. These are the ways you need to plan your city. And they're going to have the say, and they're going to make it equitable um, so that people who have differing opinions don't have a voice. Yeah. So they're attacking, they understand the importance of, of attacking this at the, at the local level, mm -hmm. but that's where we have to fight. And that's why right. we tell people, stop getting lost in the weeds at DC. I mean, how much influence do you have in DC? Not that DC doesn't matter, but DC is, has become so corrupted. When you have a federal government that is calling you, people who watch this show and us, the biggest threats to this country, that we're the terrorists, that tells you who the enemy is. And the enemy is them. We can fight at the state level. This is where we have to be fighting. We have to get involved with our city councils. We have to get involved with our state reps. And I'll tell you, here's the cool thing. You've got some state reps that are that just have no idea what's going on. And there's and some of them have been calling us and saying, we're not a part of this. We didn't know. And the reason they're calling us is because you're calling them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what an absolute blessing to have Lisa Logan in your backyard breaking this. This is a national story and it will go national because this is this is massive. But what? But you have a role to play, and that's call your state rep. That is, that is share this with your neighbors. Yes. This is information warfare. They understand it, which is why they, this, which is why they use the media, which is why they use Hollywood to which is push why propaganda, they shut us down. and it's why they're shutting us down and 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 trying to wreak havoc on what our lives. But but here's the cool thing. 
they they maybe they silence us. They can't silence everybody, mm-hmm. and that's why we need more people speaking up, not less. We need more voices. We need m- more people standing up and 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 getting involved in information warfare. And, and we're y- not asking you to do the research. We have such incredible people like Lisa and Chelsea and and all the incredible people that do the research for you. We're not asking you to do anything other than share and act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if and if your deal is research, do it. Get into the fight. You, only God, you and God know why you're here, but you're here for a reason. And, and nothing matters more than freedom. Nothing. This has been the eternal fight because you lose freedom. And I will tell you, life becomes, you, you, you will give up, it, pay any price to get it back, any price. So it's better to fight for it now than wait to lose it. Anyways, we're going to wrap up. It's been a long show. God bless you, Lisa Logan. Thank Follow you. her on Twitter. I am Lisa Logan. Uh, we'll put the link to her show in that she the, where she broke this down in our in the notes and uh, support Lisa and uh, you know to our guest please thank you for sharing thank you for helping us get this out thank you for your support and uh, take a deep breath I do need to too what an amazing time to be alive honestly what an amazing time to be alive and what a more amazing time to be awake to see all this stuff happening and even better how awesome is it do we get to play a role. We're not, we're not sitting here, you know, zombies. We're actually able to shift and, and be a part of, part of God's army in, in fighting his fight. And that's what this is. So anyways, God bless you guys. God bless America. And man, God bless Utah. <laughs> we sure need it. This state's out of control. Yes. So thank you guys. And thanks for watching. Bye.